right. God's word says this, my son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments for length of days and years of life and peace. They will add to you. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you, bind them around your neck, write them on the tablet of your heart. So you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Verse 9, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof for the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. This is the word of the Lord. I wanted to recommend, been recommending resources here and there as we go through uh, these different topics in Proverbs. Wanted to recommend a few books and then some online resources. Uh, Randy Alcorn, he's written a number of books, well-respected author, Christian leader, wrote a book called The Treasure Principle. Excellent, excellent book on generous giving. Highly recommend it. Uh, obviously, Dave Ramsey's a well-known name, The Complete Guide to Money. We offer Financial Peace University classes here. Uh, always recommend that one, but also uh, Crown Financial. You can go online. They offer uh, counseling and, and assistance with uh, financial insight and helping you in that. And then most importantly, I would say just good Christian leaders in our church who have a sound uh, financial background. There's a number of folks in our church who would love to minister and disciple you and help you uh, grow in just financial wisdom. And uh, so if you need help in that way, I think the best way to do that is through discipleship and guidance in, in one-to-one relationships. We have a number of people, I'm sure, that are willing to help and have helped people in our church. So if you need help after the sermon and you need guidance, come talk to one of the church leaders and we'll connect you with uh, some of those folks. We would love to resource you and help you in that way. So with that, I want to get into our sermon. This is going to be a super, super practical sermon uh, this morning. Money and finances, if we read through scripture, money and finances cover a good portion of biblical teaching. Jesus had a lot to say himself on money. Some scholars kind of debate this, some 11 to 16 of the parables uh, that he taught uh, pertain to money. Obviously, in the parables, we see topics kind of intermixed in uh, those passages, but it goes to show that God cares much about how you steward your financial blessings and how you honor Him with those. Uh, how we apply, like we've been looking at this every week, how do we apply wisdom to our speech, our friendships, uh, different areas of life? So now we're going to look and see how do we apply wisdom in the area of money. Just theologically, God as creator gives us everything we need. He meets our needs. He has entrusted it to us as wise stewards. We're called stewards of God's creation. We must honor the Lord with our money. The scriptures repeat that over and over again. Moreover, poor financial management affects us emotionally, spiritually, and physically, right? There's a lot of emotional and uh, physical damage that comes from poor financial decisions and the stress related to those things. So it affects us in more ways than just, just our spiritual health. And also poor financial management keeps us from answering the Lord's call in our lives by creating conflicting interest uh, in 
in life's path. You know, am I going to go this way or am I going to go this way? A lot of times uh, finances can dictate those types of decisions. This is of great concern to Christians. I'm preaching to Christians this morning. And also the greater U.S. economy. Listen to these statistics. Consumer debt has risen to unprecedented numbers. Credit card debt as the close of 2022 now stands, this is, amazing, this is just crazy, $927 billion. And it will surely eclipse the $1 trillion mark soon as interest rates increase and debt increases. On the good side, positively, Kentucky actually ranks as the lowest of all 50 states with consumer debt. Uh, average household debt stands at about $5,400, which is still a lot of money compared to an overall national average of about $7,200. Looking to car debt, car payments, a new car payment is now on average over $700. And a used car payment on average is now over $500 per month. Mind-boggling numbers, right? If Christians are to have a positive influence on our culture and trajectory of our country, we must become wise stewards of our finances. And this brings us to our main idea. We must honor the Lord with our money. Simply put, we must honor the Lord with our money. That's what verse 9 gets to in chapter 3 of Proverbs. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with, notice this, the first fruits of all your produce. This is not just, just a concept confined to the area of pastoral ministry. We, we must all become wise stewards of the good gifts entrusted to us and honor the Lord. This is a subject just personally that it's close to my heart. I haven't, some of you may not know this, my story, I haven't always been in pastoral ministry. Like my mom in middle school didn't deem me the preacher kid coming up and send me to seminary right out of high school. I actually worked what you would call a normal job for a long time. I was in the business world. I was a retail manager for a number of years. And the Lord blessed me in those early years of my adult life in moving rapidly through the ranks of the company that I worked for. And I learned key lessons about finances and managing them wisely. But I'll, I'll say this, these lessons often came at, because I made dumb decisions, just to be honest. <laughs> but through some tough lessons, the Lord began to open opportunity for me to invest my life further into the ministerial calling that he had placed before me. Hey, due, due to the wisdom of those years of good paying work, I was able to position myself financially, unbeknownst to me at the time, towards the calling that the Lord had placed on me for the future, which I've now walked into. That's because unlike most people who move into, say, their dream career per se, or are recruited into other jobs, in ministry, if, if I'm honest, I've taken a financial hit every single time the Lord has called me to another place. I've gone backwards from a worldly perspective in my physical income, and yet it's because of wise management and honoring God that I've, I've never felt like I've had to go without, and I've still been able to walk in obedience to the Lord's calling on my life. I've lived this path, and I'm living it. And this concept shouldn't just pertain to pastors or ministers, but to this, to each and every Christian disciple. Why? Hebrews 13.5 gives us an idea, gives us insight into the heart of the Lord. The author of Hebrews says this, keep your life free from the love of money. Here it is. And be content with what you have. 
Contentment is a key marker in the life of a Christian. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. The author of Hebrews is getting at that at this. You have enough in your relationship with the Lord. Be content with what you have. Now, practically, finances have to come from somewhere, don't they? My mom used to, he told me when I was 15, getting ready to be 16, she would spell it out for me. She said, hey, you need to go get a J-O-B, right? Go get a job. Yes, mother. And so our first point is this. We're going to look at wise work. Wise work. Now, Nate hit on this a few weeks ago in his sermon on laziness. We're going to talk about work this morning. We have a, a misconception, I think, in our understanding of sin and work. We often view work as a product of the fall in Genesis, and yet God placed Adam in the Garden of Eden to tend to it, to multiply God's glory, and then this is a key word, to have dominion over the creation, right? What does all that spell out? Work, right? To work the garden, to help things to grow, to till the soil, to get his hands dirty. And now what happened after the fall? The fall has made work toilsome, difficult. Okay, some of you, your, your yards right now, if it's anything like mine, there's a lot of toilsome work that needs to be done out in the backyard, right? There's little yellow flowers popping up and weeds, and I, th- I think the, the weeds far outnumber the grass blades right now. There's a lot of work to be done. It's tough. That's why even if you have, say, your, your dream job, things never go perfect, do they? There, there's always an issue Work always presents difficulty and obstacles. I actually think, personally, I think work will still exist in the new heavens and new earth. We will still till and grow and honor God through our labor, and it will be joyous. Our work in the present world, though, leads to this. It leads to finances and income to live on, save and support our families. And I'm going to keep saying this, honor God, to honor God. We must work. Proverbs 10, 4 and 5, it has a lot to say about this. A slack hand causes poverty, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. He who gathers in summer is a prudent son, but he who sleeps in harvest is a son who brings shame. The Bible speaks strongly to the importance of work and labor. Wealth and honoring the Lord with our money does not come from like some get rich scheme or dishonest game, but steady work and wise stewardship of the blessings of the Lord. Proverbs 15, 27 says this, whoever is greedy for unjust gain troubles his household, but he who hates, a bri- who hates bribes will live, right? There's no quick way to build wealth or to honor God through your finances. It comes through the long obedient process of just working hard day in and day out and honoring the Lord uh, with the fruit of your labor. Be honest in how you acquire money. Don't take advantage of others. Don't cut corners. Rather, work steadily, honor the Lord, and enjoy the fruit of your labor. I think Paul gets at this in 1 Corinthians 9, verse 7. We'll hit a little bit further into this later on. Paul says this. He says, who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard without eating any of its fruit? Or who tends a flock without getting some of the milk? Right? These, These rhetorical questions that Paul presents, the answer is, enjoy the fruit of your labor. You go out and work, enjoy it. Enjoy what's come of that. 
And so now that, that we've established that godly acquisition of resources through work is good, and it's also honoring to the Lord, how then do we use these gifts from the Lord? So we're going to get super, super practical here. Number two, wise use. And I put these numbers 10, 10, 80 as just a, a super practical guideline for life. 10, 10, 80. What does that equal? 100, okay? 100%. So we see 10%, 10%, 80%. 10, is a great starting place formula for us. And, and it's loosely based on the concept of the tithe. I'm going to get into the biblical teaching on giving in the New Testament a little bit later in the sermon. Simply put, 10, 10, 80 equals this. We give 10%. So we honor the Lord with your first fruits. We save 10%. So in a sense, we, we pay ourselves and we live on 80%. Now I'm going to flip this around because I want to end on giving and honoring the Lord at the end. So we're going to start with the biggest chunk, live. Okay, it's our first sub point. Live 80%. I want you, I want you to hear this clearly because I think sometimes... Uh, the church in our rejection of what we would call the prosperity gospel has been a little bit soft on enjoying the fruit of labor. Okay, God wants you, I think he desires for you to enjoy life. God wants you to live and enjoy life. Parents, don't you want that for your children? You raise your, don't you want them to enjoy life? to enjoy their labor and the fruit of their labor. I believe God does desire for his children to honor him with their lives. And this honoring of God includes thoroughly enjoying the benefits of hard work and labor. Enjoy the financial benefits of a good day's work. Ecclesiastes 3, 12 to 13 says this, I perceive that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also that everyone, hear this, should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. It's God's blessing to you that you would enjoy, again, the fruit of your labor. There's nothing to be ashamed of. Take pleasure in the blessings of the Lord. And don't be ashamed of those blessings. As long as you honor God. Honor the Lord. We must cover our, our most basic needs from, from our financial blessings from the Lord. And there, and there are times where there's, there's enough to be set aside to enjoy the toil of your labor, the, the extra innocence. Looking again to 1 Corinthians uh, 9, I want to give you some context here to what Paul's actually talking about. The, the Apostle Paul is addressing a question of why he chose actually not to receive wages from the Corinthians or any church. What was Paul's vocation that he was paid from? He was a tent maker, Right? So he had a job outside of ministry that he was paid from. And, and the Corinthian church is actually questioning him on why he was not being willing to receive wages from uh, their church because it was culturally normative to pay uh, the teachers. And yet in the midst of his defense of not taking payment for his labor from this church, he defends the right for teachers and ministry workers to receive payment. And I want to expand this principle out now from the Bible that it also uh, belongs to all laborers within the church that we will enjoy the fruit of our labor. He says this in 1 Corinthians 9, 8 to 10. Do I say these things on human authority? Does not the law say the same? 
same, for it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. Is it for the oxen that God is concerned? Does he not certainly speak for our sake? It was written for our sake because the plowman should plow in hope and the thresher thresh in hope of what? Sharing in the crop, of enjoying the fruit of their labor. We work to live and hopefully share in the blessings of our labor. Share it with other people. Honor the Lord in, in, in the blessings as well. We saw a few examples of this last weekend. We had this terrible storm that came through, right, last Friday? Terrible windstorm. Many in our area were without power. And what was neat is we saw this play out in our church. Uh, a number of people with power invited those without power for a number of days to come and stay in their home with them. That's that's a blessing of living, enjoying the blessings of God, but also blessing other people. It was as simple as, as this. Some guys just had chainsaws sitting in their shed outside. They turned them on, went to other people's houses, and cut up their trees that had fallen down on their property. Yes. <laughs> Again, blessings that, that we've received to have that sort of power equipment just sitting in your shed ready to go, but then also to move into action and say, man, I'm going to honor the Lord because I'm not going to let this thing sit there and say, well, we were really fortunate to not have a tree hit our house, so I'm just going to sit and rest, but to get up and go to work and help a brother or sister in Christ. That's how we honor the Lord in those blessings that he's given us financially. We have to live, and a good portion of our income should go to our living expenses. Again, in this formula, we're saying about 80%. Next point, save 10%. We want to save 10%. Saving is imperative to the wise handling of our financial blessings. We must be family. We must be prepared for emergencies. And here's the other thing we can do with our savings. We're prepared uh, for opportunities to bless others. How many times have we seen, or I've seen in, in the life of a church, a missionary in particular come through and have a need, and because there's folks in the church who have saved and stockpiled a little bit off to the side, they're able to take a few hundred dollars or a thousand dollars and say, hey, go buy the van that you need. And we can't do that if we spend frivolously and get rid of everything, right? We have to have some put away for, uh, to answer that call, but then also practically to not freak out when the car breaks down to be able to fix things. We can only do this if we put away a portion of our income. I think a good rule of thumb is to pay ourselves 10%. Proverbs 21.20 tells us this. Precious treasure and oil are in a man's dwelling, right? They're, they're held there. They're stored. They're not just wasted and, and spent frivolously. The proverb goes on, but a foolish man devours it. It just eats everything up. I experience that every week in my grocery bill. I have two teenage children that I love. And on Saturday, the pantry's filled up with snacks that are to make it to the next Friday. But by Sunday afternoon, the snacks are devoured, as it says here, right? And then I hear all week long, Dad, will you buy us more cereal? Potato chips? Snacks, you ate them all. And I shared in it with you. <laughs> Here's the truth. Most of us save. I'm, I'm, you know, the old saying, I'm preaching to the choir a little bit here. 
More than likely, most of us are saving. However, statistically, there's a significant portion of people who don't have enough to cover a major expense. It it will be life-altering to them if something crazy happens financially. Federal Reserve statistics report that 36% of Americans don't have enough money on hand to cover a $400 emergency. $400. 51% of Americans have less than $5,000 in savings, which is probably lower than than a month's income for some people. And 35% have less than $1,000. Family, if if we're to be prepared to honor the Lord with our money, we have to manage it well. It's honorable to the Lord to not devour every cent that is deposited into our accounts, to set aside both for emergency, and then I would say even more importantly, to assist others in their time of need. Because, and I'm not saying this in a bragging way, but because of, of saving and putting away, there's been times where we had, Karen and I had some close friends that both lost their jobs at the same time. They needed to move rapidly and we were able to pull out a few hundred dollars out of our savings account, just no questions asked and send it to them. Because we saved. And then we were prepared to give when the Lord laid it on our heart to help them meet that need. Now, answering the question of faith, doesn't this, doesn't this test your faith if you're not willing to trust that God's just going to provide for you? It's not a question of trusting God or not. It's a question of honoring that which he has blessed us with through careful planning and wise use. God does not want us to be reckless with our money. And perhaps you're sitting here, you're like, 10% is too much at this point because of household debt. I want to charge you today. It's, it's a good day to make a plan to handle debt, and we can help you with that. Come and talk to us. We want to minister and, and help you with even these most practical needs that you have. So many times in the church, we view discipleship as only growth spiritually, but discipleship is also growth in, in the day-to-day task of life and how to live out Uh, of the blessings that the Lord has given to you financially. We want to handle debt. We want to get that out of the way so that we can honor God with our finances. Lastly, give. I put 10% or generously. It's at this point that I want to, I want to flip the formula around. It's, it's 10, 10, 80, the first 10% to the Lord, the second 10% to you, the remaining 80% to live on. Where do we get this concept of giving first to the Lord? From the Bible. Verses 9 and 10. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with, notice this, the, what, first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. It is commanded in Scripture that we give joyfully to the Lord. It's at this point I want to address this question of tithe. What, what's the biblical teaching on giving? I believe the, the New Testament teaches, and I think Jesus focuses in on this, that giving is to be generous. I think it's, the New Testament moves beyond just setting a rigid 10% number, checking the box, and I did it, and moving on. Christ has called us to give abundantly and generously to the kingdom of God. It's why he honored the widow that gave all that she had. We read that passage as our our opening reading. She gave everything. She gave the full 100%. He didn't commend the rich people that just kind of gave what was left over. He commended the widow that gave all. 
Christ has called us to generous giving, and that is the teaching of the New Testament. And so I'm not necessarily going to assign a rigid percentage. I think the tithe is a great starting place in, in honing and discipling you to trust the Lord in your giving. It's a great starting point. But Christ has called us to be generous. And it's through giving to the Lord that we live in obedience and submit to the Lordship of Christ. This is important. Oftentimes we put Jesus in this box of Savior. He has saved me. He's forgiven me all my sins. Hallelujah, right? Praise Jesus. He is also this though, Lord. It's why to the rich man, when the rich man came uh, to ask him, how, how do I get into heaven? Jesus said, sell everything, give it to the poor, follow me. This man could not submit to the lordship of Jesus. Jesus tells us what to do. He told this man what to do. And he said, yeah, no thanks, I'm opting out of that. I'm just, I think I got it under control. That hurts too much to do that. Jesus is Lord and Savior. He is Lord, meaning he is over, he's reigning over every single aspect of our life. And so when we give to the Lord, we're submitting, we're through a physical act, we're submitting to his lordship. We're trusting God. There's been times, and I've talked to many Christians about this, where that, that gift that they've given towards a missionary or the local church, it's been a stretch, but they've trusted the Lord in that, that he would provide. The reason Jesus spoke so much about money is because he knew that it was, the, it was the idol in our lives that is the most difficult to overcome. It's so easy to worship money. It's so easy to put our trust in money. And yet money is such a deceptive, right, little G God, isn't it? It's always changing, moving, elusive. Like, do I have enough? Is this, is this a wise use? And as we've seen in recent years, it changes values rather quickly, doesn't it? The money you have today is not worth what it was a couple of years ago or a decade ago or 20 years ago. So my, my dad always says, hey, when I used to go get a cheeseburger, it was a nickel. We cannot place our confidence, our hope and confidence in money. Rather, we must steward it and use it as God has intended to, to bless him with our first fruits as an act of, it's an, our giving is an act of worship and obedience to the Lord. And so we can think about this joyfully. And, and the phrase I want to give you is that we don't have to give, we get to give. We don't have to give, we get to give. And, and we see the fruit of generous giving in, in the explosive growth of the early New Testament church in, in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 2 specifically, and Acts chapter 4, it's noted in these passages that there was none in the church that had need. That's, a, that's an amazing statement. That there was no one in the church that had need. Why? Because people were just selling their stuff and bringing it in common and giving away. Acts 4, 34 to 35, there was not a needy person among them. For as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold, laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. What a beautiful picture of gospel transformation. That people are willing to give of their most precious things that they have to sell to help other believers in Christ. 
Just this, this past week, I want to commend our church. Just this past week, our church showed generous giving and bringing an abundance of food to fill our food pantry and bless those who are hungry in our community. Thank you for that. Thank you for your generous gifts and thinking through those in our community who have, who have need that we can feed them. We can, help, we can hand them a bag of food, fill their stomachs. And I hope and pray that, that this will become a regular practice in the church, that as we go about in the grocery store, that we're willing to grab a couple extra cans of this and an extra box of this to bring and put in our food ministry so that we can continue to bless and help those in need in our community. Right, God forbid anybody in our community goes hungry. And even more so in our church. If there's anybody that has need in our church, let us bless you. We have a fund set up that people give to that we can bless you and help you if you have need. The family, we have to catch the vision. The the vision of the local church, a place of discipleship and also great commission living, right? We are on a mission to seek and to save the lost. The church, this church in particular, is a living and breathing outpost for mission, a lighthouse in the darkness. When you honor the Lord in giving to this particular outlet, you are supporting and increasing our ability to reach the lost with the gospel. Is that not important? Tangibly, you're giving money that flows through our church. We want to be a conduit, flows through our church and into the mission field in places like Haiti and El Salvador, Israel, Ukraine, and India, Malawi, and Kenya. All the way back here from Liberty, Kentucky to Shepherdsville, Kentucky. Because of your generosity, a conduit through the church right back outside of these walls to change lives. And we we also get to bless our congregants in need. Because of your generosity, we were able to, uh, just this past week, give out grocery cards to many of our congregants who lost power to help offset the cost of filling their refrigerator and pantry back up. Not because necessarily people, they needed the money, but because we, want, we had it and we wanted to bless them. And man, it really stinks when the power goes out and all your food spoils in the fridge, doesn't it? And we wanted to, as a church, come alongside people and say, here, take this. It's just a, it's just a small amount to help you offset that that cost to fill your fridge back up. Your giving funds our our future plans to reach our community's deepest felt needs and greatest spiritual need, which is to continue to do this, to preach the gospel, and most importantly, to shine the light of Christ. Jesus instructed in this way in Matthew 6, 19 to 21. He says, do not lay up For yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I know you've heard this again, family, but you can't take a wheelbarrow up there with all your cash and take it into heaven with you. It's worthless. But how you use that now, God will bless you and honor you for how you honor him in this present life. Have we captured the vision? Is God in his rightful place? If we think about this in in light of the gospel of Jesus, that, that God did this, 
God left heaven and he came to earth. He gave up everything, didn't he? He came in the person and work of Jesus. He took on human flesh, lived perfectly in our place. He, he was impoverished. He was homeless. And he loved you enough to come and to live for you. He loved you enough to die in your place for your sin. And he loved us enough to not stay dead, but to raise from the dead and conquer sin and death through his resurrection. Jesus then ascended to heaven and now he sits at the right hand of the father, ruling and reigning. He is King Jesus, Lord of all. He's over everything. And he calls us to honor him and to glorify him and to be generous in our giving. I wanna share a quick reading uh, from this book, The Treasure Principle, and then we'll respond to God in worship. It's the very first chapter. This is, uh, again, by Randy Alcorn. It says this, a first century Hebrew walks alone on a hot afternoon, staff in hand. I want you to imagine a little bit. Just imagine the scene. His shoulders are stooped, sandals covered with dirt, tunics stained with sweat, but he doesn't stop to rest. He has pressing business in the city. He veers off the road into a field seeking a shortcut. The owner won't mind. Travelers are permitted this courtesy. The, the field is uneven, and to keep his balance, he thrusts his staff into the dirt. Thunk. The staff strikes something hard. He stops, wipes his brow, pokes again. Thunk. Something's under there. It's not a rock. The weary traveler tells himself that he can't afford to linger, but his curiosity won't let him go. He jabs at the ground. Something reflects a sliver of sunlight. He drops to his knees. He starts digging. Five minutes later, he's uncovered it. A case fringed in gold. By the looks of it, it's been there for decades. Heart racing, he pries off the rusty lock and opens the lid. Gold coins, jewelry, precious stones of every color. A treasure more valuable than anything he's ever imagined. Handshaking, the traveler inspects the coins issued in Rome over 70 years ago. Some wealthy man must have buried the case and died suddenly, the secret of the treasure's location dying with him. There's no homestead nearby. Surely the current landowner has no clue that the treasure's here. Okay, by the way, here, here's a caveat. Parables have one central purpose. The point is of this one is not to command taking advantage of the landowner's ignorance, but to respond joyfully at finding buried treasure. All right, back into the story. <laughs> the traveler closes the lid, buries the chest, marks the spot. He turns around, heading home. Only now he's not plotting. He's skipping like a little boy, smiling broadly. What a find. Unbelievable. I've got to have that treasure, but I, I can't just take it. That would be stealing. Whoever owns the field owns what's in it, but how can I afford to buy it? I'll sell my farm and crops, all my tools, my prize oxen. Yes, if I sell everything, that should be enough. From the moment of his discovery, the traveler's life changes. The treasure, the treasure captures his imagination, becomes the stuff of his dreams. It's his reference point, his new center of gravity. The traveler takes every new step with this treasure in mind. He experiences a radical paradigm shift, right? His life is changed. This story, hear this. 
This story is captured by Jesus in one single verse. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. Let us keep that vision in mind as we go about our lives in working, receiving the blessings of the Lord, enjoying the fruit of our labor, saving and helping others, and giving generously to the kingdom of God.